Luke chapter 10. Um, I don't know that there's anything more um, debated in our culture, in our society right now, anything more talked about, um, anything more debated um, than walls. We, We live in a culture that just seems to be inundated with the ideas of walls. Um, now, this is not a political message because I don't really care where you stand on building a wall around America. But the tendency sometimes in the church is for the church to build walls. And the problem with that is, is the church was never called to build walls. The church is called to be a body without walls. And the danger is allowing a mindset that we may have in our culture come in and start being a prevalent mindset within the life of the church. And the reason why that is a problem is because the church is set for a specific uh, purpose, and that is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That, that, is, that is our purpose. And when Jesus commissioned the church, he, he says that he was going to build his church on the confession that Peter had made about who Jesus is, about being the Son of God, and that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. Now, some have used that verse to try to make us a case for building walls around the church. Well, if we don't build walls, then, then the gates of hell, then they'll prevail against the church. But we miss the concept. In that time frame, the idea of gates was a defensive measure, not an offensive measure. So when Jesus tells his disciples that I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, what he's saying is the gates of hell will not be able to keep us from taking this gospel and impacting the kingdom of hell. Not that hell is going to impact the church, but that the church now is going to impact hell. And if you're here this morning and you're a believer in Christ, then someone somewhere had an impact on hell and you became saved. And that's a glorious news. But the news is that it hasn't stopped yet, and Jesus still has a desire for the church to be the church and to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But when we build walls, it's very difficult to do that. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at at being a church without walls. And the reason why this is going to be a focus of ours is because we've been called to go into all the world And that's something we need to remember. The lost were not called to go to church, but the church was called to go to the lost world. So there's a difference. Um, We also need to have this as a focus because only the gospel can save people. Only the gospel can save people. And, and, And so when we don't take that gospel outside the walls, we are basically abandoning those people to an eternity separated from a holy God. Because only the gospel can save them. Well, who has the commission to take the gospel to the world? The church. It's our responsibility to take the gospel to the world. And another reason, the last reason why this needs to be a focus of ours is because time is short. Now, I I don't know how much time we have left. I don't know how much longer the Lord is going to tarry before he comes and and takes his church. I, I, I don't know. Years ago, it was almost like, God, please, not yet. You know, particularly when I was young. Just, just wait till I'm married. 
when I get married, after I'm married, then yeah, you can come back. And then it was, well, no, but if you'll just wait till I have kids, then, then you can come back. And then it was like, well, if you'll let me watch my kids grow a little older, then you can come back. Now it's like, God, just come back. Because the way things are going is so disheartening. And it's really hard to look at where we are, not just in our culture, but all the way around the world, at what's going on, and the prophecies that have taken place in Scripture, to know that we're, we're, time is short. Now, I don't know how short it is. I'm not going to get up here and say it's going to be today, tomorrow, or the next day, because I have no idea. But I do know today is one day closer than yesterday. That's what I know. Okay, And so time is short, and we need to be about our mission because there are people outside the walls of the church that are lost and in a situation where if they were to die, they would spend an eternity separated from a holy God. And the only way we can influence that is to literally be a church without walls. That we're, we're not waiting on them to come here, but we are living outside. We are living our faith. We're living our mission to go to the, all the world outside the walls of the building in which we live. And so this morning, we're going to start this by looking at one of the most well-known parables of Jesus, and that is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And my prayer is that we will see that the Good Samaritan is actually a great example of what it means to be a church without walls. Now, before we read this, to kind of bring you up, if you're not sure what's going on here, Jesus has been teaching here in Luke 10. And this, this lawyer comes up, and he tries to he tries to trick Jesus with a trick question, is what he's doing. He, he basically comes up and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus, instead of just answering the question, actually comes back with a question. And, and so he comes back to this, this lawyer and he says, well, what does the law say? How do, you, how do you read it? What do you think it says? And the lawyer answered and said unto him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus, he says that, and Jesus said, you're right. And then the lawyer follows up with that question and goes, well, then who is my neighbor? Who, who, who am I supposed to love like myself? Who, who is my neighbor? Now, the lawyer, he's basically using this follow-up question to attempt to justify himself. And, and he might have been able to love mankind in general, but he didn't want to be too specific. He didn't want to... He didn't want that many people to, that he was going to be faced with. And, and he did what many people do when they're faced with a difficult task. And that is, he tried to make this debate philosophical to shrug off his personal responsibility. And I think that's what a lot of Christians do. We, we want to turn it into a philosophical debate. Who am I supposed to minister to? Who am I supposed to take the gospel? You say go to all the world. What does that mean? Am I supposed to go to Africa? Or am I supposed to go to New Zealand? Am I supposed to go to Kansas? I mean, you... What do you mean by take the gospel to all the world? And we try to make it philosophical and just looking at it for, instead of looking at it for what it is. And, and Jesus, upon this conversation, he cuts through all the philosophical debate with a story. So if you have your Bibles there in Luke chapter 10, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning in Luke 10. And we're going to look at this story that Jesus told to answer this philosophical debate. In verse 30, starting in Luke chapter 10, verse 30, says, Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, they beat him up, and they fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. 
In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went, to, he went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. Now, if you don't know what a denarii is, a denarii is a day's wage. So he, he takes out two days' wages and gives it to the innkeeper. And he gave them to the innkeeper, and he said this, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the, the lawyer comes back and says, the one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus told him, you then go and do the same or do likewise. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, today I pray that you bless the reading of your word. And now as we examine it for a few moments this morning, I pray that I would decrease and that your spirit living in me would increase and the words would be shared would be yours and not mine. And then, Father, you would use your words to impact our hearts and our lives so that we can be the church you've called us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So in this story that Jesus uses, Jesus uses something that would have been uh, very uncommon. He, he uses a character that you wouldn't expect Jesus to use if you know much about the culture of the day. And that is the hero in the story would have to be the Samaritan, right? Because the priest went by and did nothing. The Levi went by and did nothing. The robbers obviously did what they weren't supposed to do. There's a hero in the story, and the hero's the, the Samaritan. The problem with that is he's talking to a Jewish man, and in the eyes of the Jews, Samaritans were worthless. Like, they, they hated each other. They debated and debated. They did not like each other. As a matter of fact, when Jesus met the Samaritan woman, if you'll remember, and, and he starts talking with her, and she's like, why are you talking to me? That's because she was a Samaritan, he was a Jew, and they don't get along, and they're not supposed to talk. Because the Jews considered the Samaritans ceremonially unclean. And the Samaritans used to make fun of the Jews for saying they had to go to Jerusalem to worship. And if you want to know the background of all of this, it actually takes place in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Kings. And what had happened was, the, the, after they had been dispersed and they come back together, the Samaritans, this group of Samaritans, began to intermarry and take on some of the cultural concepts of the, of the world Whereas the Jews said, no, we are still God's holy people, and we're called to be different. And, but the, so they began to see the, the Samaritans as basically half-breeds. That's what they were. They were half-Jewish and half-world. And, and not only physically in their physical bodies, but in the way they treated the worship of God. And so they didn't get along at all. And they, were despi they despised one another because of all of this. And so there's the Samaritan here who's a very unlikely hero, but his actions set him apart because he cared when no one else cared. He helped when no one else would help. He paid when no one else would pay, and he promised to return when no one even knew that the battered man was alive. So what set him apart? What enabled him, the Samaritan, to be so much different than the priest and the Levite? What enabled him to help when no one else did? Well, the answer to that question is a key to understanding what it means to be the church without walls. Because this Samaritan, in this story, Jesus gives some characteristics of the Samaritan that are essential for the church 
if they're going to be a church without walls. That means if they're going to be a church that is called to go reach all the nations, not just some of them, not just some people, but all people. So let's look at these characteristics. There's four of them that I want to give you this morning. First of all, the first characteristic that has to happen in order for the church to be a church without walls that we see in the life of the Samaritan is you have to have eyes of compassion. You have to have eyes of compassion. When you look at this story, the three men saw the problem. There was a, a priest that saw the problem, right? He saw him, went by on the other side. There was a Levite who saw the problem. And he passed by on the other side. But then here's the Samaritan who saw the problem, and he did something completely different. You see, there was two religious men, and I think Jesus was very particular about using a priest and a Levite because a priest obviously is a holy man. A Levite is a part of the tribe in the Old Testament that was sanctioned with the worship of holy God. The Levites were the worshipers or the lead worshipers. So he picks out the two main groups of people in charge of worshiping God and shows them that they, they don't do anything for this guy. And then there's this one over here that nobody even likes or respects, and he's the one that does something. And, and so there's these two religious men who felt nothing for all that that man had been stripped, assaulted, and left for dead. They didn't care. They didn't want to go near him. They didn't want to get involved with this situation. They didn't want to worry about it. It was inconvenient for whatever reason. They didn't want to do that. And the reason why they didn't want to help is because they had no compassion. They didn't look and see the guy with compassion. You see, understand this, church. Compassion is empathy that moves us to action. Compassion is empathy that moves us to action. And Jesus is a great example of that. Not just the Good Samaritan. If you want to look at the greatest example of someone moved with compassion, which is empathy moved to action, one of the greatest examples of that is found in the life of Jesus in Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus and his disciples have been ministering. People are being saved. They've been coming, getting healed. There's all this ministry that's taking place. Scripture says that, it had, that, that so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have time to eat. And so Jesus withdrew with his 12 and said, we need to, to separate ourselves and at least rest. That's a, that's a good rule of thumb, by the way. Ministry is not working yourself to death. There is a time where you need rest. It is, a, it is an essential trait. So they get in this boat, and they're going to they're gonna withdraw. The problem is the people see them leaving. And Scripture says that people from all the surrounding towns saw them as they left and ran on foot and arrived ahead of where Jesus and his disciples were going. And instead of Jesus getting out of the boat and going, you know what? I've been ministering all day. I'm tired. And send them away. Instead of doing that, Scripture says that Jesus saw the people and he looked on them with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he goes about, and him and his disciples begin to minister again. And one of the greatest miracles that we know about Jesus happened in that situation. That is where Jesus fed the 5,000. Notice he still took care of his disciples. They were hungry and needed to eat. And he made sure not only did they eat, but everyone else ate too. Compassion is empathy that moves us to action. And if we want to be a church without walls, we have to be compassionate. 
Because if we don't have compassion in our lives, if we don't have compassion for all people, and that includes the people who are not necessarily like us or look like us or act like us, then the tendency, and, and this is a natural tendency, if we don't have compassion, the tendency is to ignore them completely the way the, the religious people did, or worse yet, to abandon them to their misery and their certain destruction. If, if the Samaritan doesn't help, Scripture says that the, 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 the robbers beat him, stripped him, left him for dead. If the Samaritan doesn't help, he dies. Do you, you see that? If we don't take the gospel to the world, they die. That's where the connection is. You see, there, there, there's a lot of religious people, just like the priest and the Levite, that on Sunday would be very clear and say, yes, absolutely, we need to preach the gospel. We, the world needs the gospel. If they don't have it, they're going to die, and they're going to be lost, and they're going to praise God and sing. Just like the priest would preach and the Levites would worship, they would sing it and shout it and preach it and say it from the word of God. But when push comes to shove and where the rubber meets the road Monday through Saturday, when the opportunity arises, it's an inconvenience, and they walk by on the other side. But if we're going to be a church without walls, then we've got to be like the Samaritan and see people with compassion. Trust me, the world is a messy, messy place. And sin is a messy, messy thing. And if we're going to reach out and help people with compassion, we're going to get a little dirty. We're, we're going to reach people that are a little rough. They're a little different. They ought to be different. If they're not different than we are, then we're the ones with the problem. Because we're the ones that are saved. They're not. And so we have to be willing to be moved with compassion. Compassion is key because compassion moves us to action, to reach out, to help those in need, those who need Jesus. It takes eyes of compassion. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, in the next few weeks, you're going to hear that again. I'm just telling you, because it needs to be heard again, because I'm not sure we quite grasp that completely. But the second principle that we find in the Good Samaritan that is a great example of being a church without walls is not only do we have to have eyes of compassion, but there has to be an absence of prejudice in our hearts and in our lives. There is so much prejudice in our culture today. And it doesn't even exist in the way it used to. Sometimes it's so subtle, but it's still there. We, we tend to see people the way they look. Whether or not we say that or not, we do. We have, there's prejudices that come in on, on a lot of ways. But prejudice is a, something that this Samaritan and Jesus is dealing with here. Because in order for the Samaritan to step up and help, he had to overcome some prejudice. Now, I already mentioned to you a little bit, but if you go to 2 Kings 17, you'll find where this all started. And I already mentioned it a little bit, but again, the Samaritans, they began to intermarry and combine the cultures, uh, religions uh, with the Samaritans, and they became what's known as the Samaritans, and they were considered unclean. They had significant extreme differences between the Jews and the living God, they, they did not like each other. They, matter of fact, you could almost go so far to say they hated one another. This Samaritan very easily then could have looked at this 
half-dead Jewish man and decided that it would have been better to just let him die. He's a Jew. He probably wouldn't do the same for me. How many times have we ever asked that question? Well, you know, but they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't help me either. So, you know, and we use that as some kind of example or some kind of reason for not helping someone. But anyway, he could have done that, but he didn't. He didn't let prejudice stop his compassion. He saw the guy with compassion, and then he stepped over the boundary of prejudice in order to meet the person's need. We, we have got to get to the point where the church sees people as people. Not as black, white, red, yellow, green, blue, purple, orange, yellow, I don't care, fill in the blank color. Not rich, poor, medium income. We don't need to look at them by their cultural status. We don't need to look at them by their ethnic status or their political status. We need to quit looking at people as Democrats and Republicans because there's many on both sides of that that are just lost and need Jesus. We just need to see people as people. A church without walls is willing to reach anybody with the gospel, no matter who that person is. And sometimes you've got to step over prejudices to get there. And, it, and it's sometimes not even racial prejudice. That's the one that gets the most attention in our culture. But I've served in churches before that would be really apt to go and go door-to-door witnessing in a, in a neighborhood with nice homes, with people that look like them. But if you try to get people to show up and go knock on the trailer park door, they wouldn't come. That's a prejudice. That is prejudice against people that don't look like you or don't live like you. So there's all kinds of prejudices, but a church without walls, those things got to come down. Because in the end, whether or not they're rich or poor, black or white, it doesn't matter. They need Jesus. And the church has been called to give them to Jesus. Did you ever notice that the church was called to go to all the nations, but not this church go to that nation? Or that church go to that nation? Let me, let me put this in layman's terms. He didn't tell Walika First Baptist Church to go to the white people in Walika and call First Baptist South to go to all the black people in Walika. Does, does that make more sense? We're called to go to all people. It doesn't matter what they look like or where they live. And the only way to do that is to step over prejudices that are ingrained within us in many times, in many places. Those have no place in the church of the living God. Here's why. It saddens me when I hear people try to use the church as a reason for prejudices, but we need need to remember that um, in Christ, in Christ there, there is no prejudice at all. Because in Christ we are all just alike. Listen to what the scripture says in Colossians. Let me find it. I just lost my place. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. In Christ there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. See, all divisions died at the cross. And the cross is the only thing that really gives us unity. And a church without walls has to understand that, yes, there may be some prejudices you have to overcome, but those prejudices should never stand in the way of us accomplishing our mission, and that is taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. The third aspect 
that we find in the Good Samaritan that is essential for us to be a church without walls. Not only did he have um, absence of prejudice, and not only did he have eyes of compassion, but he also was committed to the task. When I say committed to the task, it would, it would be very easy for us to say, listen, he saw a problem, and Jesus could have ended the parable at this point. He saw the problem, he went over and he bandaged the guy's wounds, he poured oil, olive oil and wine over them and bandaged him up um, and, and, and took him somewhere to, to get better cared for. He could have ended the parable with that, and we still would have had to say, yeah, he, he helped. He, he helped when no one else did, and he, he did some things. But if you read the story, Jesus takes it a little bit further than that. Because in the story, he reminds us that not, there's several things that show the commitment this Samaritan had. Number one, if you read it again, you'll find out that he stuck the wounded man on his own animal. That means that he got off whatever he was riding and put the wounded man on it. There ain't many of us that are going to give up our car to someone. You see what I'm saying? But that's what he was willing to do. He was giving up his comfort to help someone else. That's commitment. But it takes it even further because he takes him in and pays the guy two days' wages. So in one way of looking at that is he pays the guy to take care of him for two days. He's giving him two days' wages to take care of him for two days. That's pretty committed. But he doesn't stop there. He comes right back and says, oh, and... If he need, when I come back, anything else that you've had to pay for, I'll reimburse you. Church, that's commitment. It, it's not just getting them initially to the help they need. It's being bought in to continue to meet their needs as they need it. What a picture of the church. Isn't, isn't that what we're called to do? We're not just called to bring people to Jesus. That's the first step. But we're called to walk alongside them and disciple them and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus. That's what the church is all about. And that takes commitment because it's hard to disciple people. You see, it's easy to preach the gospel in a way where the Holy Spirit moves and someone responds and gets saved. But it's harder to come alongside said person and start helping them walk in discipleship, walk closer to Christ. That's a little bit more difficult. Because it's time-consuming. It takes energy. It takes effort. It takes a whole lot of patience. I mean, scripturally, when someone comes to Jesus, they're spiritually an infant. Right? Spiritually. I don't know about you, but I had three kids, and when they were infants, they tested my patience all the time. I've got some that aren't infants, and they still test my patience. Don't, don't laugh, I'm 40 years old and I still test my parents' patience. So it's just one of those things. And when we come alongside, we leave somebody to Jesus, they're a spiritual infant. It takes patience to help them in their walk with Christ. And so many times we abandon them to, to, to try to finish up on their own. But a church without walls is committed from start to finish. We don't just bandage their wounds, which obviously... The bandage of the wounds and that which cleansed them, the oil and the wine, is a picture of Jesus. But we don't just abandon, we don't just get them to that point and leave them, but we continue to walk alongside them as they continue to heal and grow and mature in their walk with Christ. And that takes a commitment to do that. It's, it, some people are like, well, being a part of the church is easy. No, it's really not. 
Because it takes time and effort. Listen, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. And true ministry is going to cost us something. If we're going to be committed, I guarantee it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us money. It's going to cost us time, energy, effort. All of that stuff takes something. And so we have to have a commitment. And that is an example that we have from the Good Samaritan that the church needs in order to be a church without walls. We have to be committed to meet the needs of others. And then the last thing this morning is when we look at the story of the Good Samaritan, the fourth essential that he shows us that we need to be a church without walls is a willingness to pay the price. A willingness to pay the price. And this kind of ties into what I just said a few minutes ago, but the Samaritan did not consider the cost to himself. The Samaritan didn't look at what was going on and think for himself, what is this going to pay me in return? We live in a society where everything's got to be about the best bang for your buck. And that's happened in ministry, too. Um, I've served on our, on our association's AOL team um, for the last several years. And, and a few years back, we tried to get some money from our convention uh, to do some things in our area. And when we called them and submitted our AOL uh, re- request, we were told that there was no money. And the reason why there was no money is because they had, they had promised all the funds for that year to two associations. That would be Tulsa Metro Association and Capital Association, which is in Oklahoma City. And when we ask them why they did that, because there's a lot of other associations in our state, their answer was, that's where the people are. It's kind of heartbreaking to hear that, because I don't know about you, but I see people in this room. We've got people here. We may not have 10,000 people, but we got 1,000 people in Malika. They need Jesus, too. But that's kind of their mentality. We've got to do the best for the buck. That's where the people are, so that's where the money goes. The, the Samaritan didn't have that mindset. He didn't say, well, what am I going to get from this? Is this, is this going to be the, most, the best investment? I mean, we, we really don't even know what happened to this Samaritan. He could have done all this. The Samaritan could have walked away and continued to hate Jews and not worship God the right way and may not have even... I mean, if you want to take it from a gospel perspective, may not even become a righteous person. We don't know because Jesus doesn't tell us. But it didn't stop the Samaritan from paying the price. I I was asked, um, and I'm not saying this to build myself up, so don't take it that way. But last Sunday, uh, I think it was last Sunday, um, somebody gave me a birthday card. And it had had some money in it here at the church. And right after I opened it, they come and got me and said, there's a lady out here and she needs some help. Or she's asking for someone. So I went out and I asked her. I talked to her for a minute. And she needed, um, she was trying to raise a little bit of money for a part that she she needed for her daughter's car. They were broke down out on the interstate or something. I don't know some story. I hear them a lot, so it all runs together. Something like that. And I said, well, how much do you need? And she said, I need $15. And the people, whoever it was that gave me the card, there was more than that in there, but it was broke down in such a way that I just went in and grabbed $15 and went out and handed it to her. My daughter saw me and said, did you just give them, maybe my son, one of them asked me, did you just give them your birthday money? I said, yeah, they needed it. And as we were leaving and we went to Shawnee to eat lunch, my wife asked me, she said, did you give somebody some of your birthday money today? And I said, yeah. And I said, you know, um, 
I don't know whether or not she needed it for what she asked for or not. I have no clue. But it's not my responsibility at that point. That's, that's between her and God. She had a need. I had an opportunity to meet that need. And I, again, I'm not saying that to bless me. I've seen a lot of people in our church do the same thing. Okay, so I'm not trying to build me up. I'm just trying to make an example. That when someone has a need, you, you, you meet the need, and the result of that is that's not your concern. You see, paying the price is not about what we get in response to that. It's not about having a ministry. This is the, the ministry we need to pour all the money in because this is the ministry that's going to bring us money back. No, the ministry you want to pour your money into is that which is going to give you the greatest return, and that's talking about spiritual return, and that is evangelism and the gospel because that's what the church is for. And so we have to have a willingness to pay the price. And again, it is going to cost us something, whether or not it is money or time or energy or effort or getting out of our comfort zones or whatever. It has to have a willingness to pay the price. Anyone or any church is going to be a church without walls. No matter who they are and what they try to do, if they want to be a church without walls, they have to have eyes of compassion. They have to see people with a need and understand that need, and that need needs to move them to action. They need to be a church that's committed to meet the needs, that's going to stay true all the way through. They need to, um, uh, I just lost my place again, have an absence of prejudice in their life. And they be willing to step over those boundaries whenever they do come up. And they have to be willing to pay the price, whatever that price is. That's important for us. Because again, we have been commissioned to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. God has given us really everything we need to do that. He's given us people, he's given us the gospel, and he's given us time to do it. And, and we need to be about that because only the gospel can save people. Our time is short, and that's what we've been called to do.